Amen. Thank you. A better day. What a blessing that we're looking for. We're in the book of Romans as we've been talking the past few weeks uh, in a new series, Supernatural Living in a Natural World. And today I want to look at the Christian walk, the honesty of the struggle, but the victory that's available to us. And we're going to start at the end of chapter 7. I want to look at 724 of Romans and go through 8 verse 10. So I'm going to ask when you find that to stand in God's honor. As I read aloud, follow along. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of sinful men is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit, if the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, here we are once again. We've come together. A people that need you, Lord. And uh, I pray, Father, a chance to continue on in this time we've labeled worship, that it would be worship, that we would look at you, and we'd take our mind and our hearts off of these other objects of adoration. And we would look at you. And I just pray that would happen. I pray, Father, that uh, you would take the weakness of my words and infuse your power, that your Holy Spirit would be here. And I thank you for how you've led us thus far, Lord, how you've blessed us. Continue to bless us, Lord. Speak to our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to look at the victory that's associated in those 10 verses of chapter 8, but I want to start out going back. We spent some time last week looking at the struggle that occurs in our lives. Those transformed by the power of God, there's a struggle. And Paul comes here in verse 24. He says, wretched man that I am. It immediately made me think, hey, that must be where John Newton got those words that we love to sing, amazing grace. How sweet the sound saved a wretch like me. 
And of course, we know John Newton had some major issues as a slave trader as he would come before God and he would remember his past. And he would say, God, it's just your grace. Is the only reason I have hope. The only reason I have that second chance. It's because of your grace. It's because you love me. And then I thought of Paul. Paul, the, the, the guy who God used to pen so many of the words that we enjoy, so many of these uh, divine letters, uh, uh, that, that scripture that speak God's heart and his mind. And yet he had his issues. Um, we're in Romans 7, but turn me to Acts chapter 7, the book right before the one we're in, and um, we catch this glimpse of Paul. And he was known as, as Saul for his conversion. And uh, we read, starting in verse 54 of Acts 7, this guy Stephen preached the truth, and as a result, uh, they literally threw rocks at him and killed him, stoned him to death. It says, when they heard this, they were furious, gnashed their teeth at him. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open, son of man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. I imagine when Paul looked at his life and he said, wretched man that I am. I think that had to be one of those memories. To see this godly man sharing the truth and talking about his hope in Jesus Christ and watching him be murdered by this crazy mob. And then he sat there and it says he approved. I imagine this wicked smile upon his face that something good had occurred. And, and yet... Now he looks back on those times where he persecuted the church, where he hurt God's people, where he caused them pain, where he tried to destroy them. And he says, what a wretched guy I am. And as we're honest and as we look at the walk of life, we all have regrets. Skeletons in the closet. Choices that we made that were wrong, that come back to haunt us times. Sometimes the people we think are beyond that. The spiritual people. Oh, that's that's baloney, man. We're all there. All in definite need of the grace of God. We all have those times that haunt us. Um, James Dobson tells a story in one of his books, Hide and Seek, where he talks about going to a seminary and speaking and he read a letter from a high school student named Danny who had shared about his depression and his struggle and inevitably how he ended up committing suicide. And uh, Dobson was really, he was burdened about this. And he shared with these seminary students and he got this note from one of the students that said, Dr. Dobson, he said, I, I'm a Danny too. I may be in seminary. I may be studying to do God's work. But I have a lot of hidden issues 
that I struggle with. And a lot of times they get the best of me. And I don't understand. And I fight, but I lose. And I feel like I'm just constantly losing the battle. So the next day, uh, there was a question and answer time with Dr. Dobson uh, for the students. Uh, and so they came in. and He read, uh, Dobson read this letter. And the students, uh, they began to open up and they began to share. Weeks later, um, Dr. Dobson received this note. And it was from a seminary student who was horrified. You see, they had found one of his roommates hanging dead in his bedroom. What's really tragic is he'd been there for five days and nobody knew. Here was a guy, he was one of the top students, appeared he had it all together, appeared everything was going well. Nobody seemed to know that he was having this struggle. And and it took five days of the busyness of life, of going by, and they missed him. And Dobson said that haunted him as it haunted those students. There is nobody who is beyond pain, who is beyond regret, who is beyond suffering, who is beyond struggle and heartache, um, I became a Christian. I was uh, 15, almost 16 years old. I had gone to this Christian camp called Camp Caswell in North Carolina, and it was there that I heard, you know, I heard the gospel. And I looked around and I saw people that cared for each other, and I thought, you know, I really want to know what this is, what this is. Um, and on the bus trip back, a guy named Kurt sat down with me, another teenager. And he shared the gospel with me. And guys, it just made sense. It just made sense. Jesus loved me. He died for me. He conquered death. And he wants to live in me and give me that same victory. So I gave my heart to Christ. But a few months later, Kurt killed himself. And then it came out... I didn't know at first, but through some circumstances, um, it came out that uh, he had struggled with tendencies toward homosexuality. And he had these demons that he fought with, and inevitably he ended up taking his life. He had this struggle that just seemed too big. And I think of Paul, and I think of him thinking this struggle that just seemed too big, so overpowering. As he spoke of himself and he said, wretched man that I am. And I have no doubt that everyone in here at some point has said to themselves, wretched person that I am. (laughs) You know, I remember an old saying says, I feel so low I could play handball on the curb. (laughs) We all have that sense sometimes of being losers, of of being unable to cope, unable to, to, to do anything right, just total failures. And, and, and here we have Paul, and he's talking about his struggle as we come to the end of the chapter, guys. And he says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he, he gives hope. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And, he, and, he, and he, he's honest. He says, so then I myself, 
in my mind, am a slave to God's law. But in the simple nature, a slave to the law of sin. He admits his struggle. He admits his weakness. He admits his failure. He doesn't try to play super Christian. He doesn't try to act like I have it all together. You know, he's honest. But praise be to God, I love this next part. You know, we have these chapter breaks. But in all honesty, when this was written, the the chapter and verse breaks were put in there later. This was all flowing together. As he comes in the next part, this is good. Look, look, Look at the next part here. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What's he say? He comes out of of just a struggle of his wretchedness, of his of man, his failures, of of just being a mess up. And he comes out of that and he says, Therefore, there is now. That little word now is a big word. Not just heaven that awaits us. Now. This moment. There's no condemnation. And I love it in the Greek. It's bigger than our little word no. I mean, you could literally say, no, never, ever, no, no, no condemnation. Man, God says, I forgive you no matter what. I cradle you in my perfect love. You are secure and safe in me. That's what he's saying. As Paul, you know, he he feels just hopeless. And then comes the hope. It floods his heart. It fills him to the full. And he says, there's no condemnation because of Christ Jesus who lives in me. Man, that's just what great, amazing, powerful news that provides to us. And I love, you know, it starts, he says, no condemnation. Look how the chapter ends. Some of my favorite verses. Chapter 8 ends. (laughs) He says, for I am convinced neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Think about how secure that is. Praise be to God that it's never been about how tight I can hold on to Him. It's always been about how securely he holds on to me. Amen. I mean, that makes all the difference, doesn't it? That That is a truth that we see here that supplies such amazing hope that, guys, we are eternally secure in Christ Jesus. His love is there no matter what is against us. You can count on it. It is a definite. Second truth. I want to communicate that gives us hope when we just feel defeated, beaten, that the struggle is too great. Uh, we are internally free. Look in uh, chapter, I mean, chapter 8, verse 2. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. He says, hey, there is this struggle. He says, hey, there are those times where I recognize how wretched I am and how defeated at times I have felt and been. But praise be to God, because the law of the Spirit of life, that resurrection power in life in the Holy Spirit 
dwells within me and has set me free from the law of sin and death. I do not have to be a victim. He has made me a victor. You go down to verse 37 right before that beautiful closing I just read to you. And he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, there is a victory that is available that we can live in. And and he shares that, that that spirit set us free from having to be slaves to sin, from being controlled by the dominion of sin and the domination of that power that tempts us. Man, I remember as a teenager started memorizing Scripture, the verse I had to memorize first. Just to be honest, normal teenage boy, noticed girls, loved girls, watched girls, thought of girls, couldn't sleep because of girls, couldn't eat sometimes because of them. Oh, okay, enough of that. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, needed that verse. First verse memorizes. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And he will provide you a way out so you can stand up under it. I said, amen, because God, I'm at falling here with this temptation. He says, I'll give you a way out. I'll provide that exit strategy. When you think, I just can't do it. Look here in the verses here as Paul shares about the battle. Uh, Verse 5, he says, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. He says, guys, when your mind is um, focusing on the sinful nature and those attributes of the flesh, of the sinful nature, when, when that's where your life is focused, when that's where your heart is, when you live according to that, it says the mind of sinful man, it's death. It's death. He says the, the sinful mind, he says it's hostile to God. It's at war with God. It's not in agreement with God. It's in battle with God. It says it does not submit to God's law. Matter of fact, it says nor can it do so. Slaves to sin, unable to have victory with that type of mind. The end of it's death. It says those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. It's impossible to please God being under that control. He said it can't happen. That's the old law of control that that we're to be broken free from. You know, I thought about that. He he said um, it's death. I mean, you think about it. When God is left out and the choices that we make and, and the words that we say, they don't bring life to people. They bring death to people. They just... Take the the life out of people, the hope out of people, and it just crushes people. That's our enemy, and that's at times, that's where we are. Uh, Cindy and I had the joy last night when Daniel several of the boys uh, to a youth event that had to do with purity. And uh, the speakers were great. Had this guy, Jason Lookadoo. He was, you know, he, he was a trip, man. I enjoyed him a lot. Good speaker. But he had this one phrase he kept saying over and over again. I appreciate it so much. He said, this is not just about sexual purity. He said, here's the deal. The question is not, is it okay? The question is, is it holy? I mean, he just kept hammering that same point. You know, he said, we live in a day where we keep asking, is it okay? Is it okay if I do this? He said, guys, don't live like that. The question's not, is it okay? The question is, is it holy? He said, don't walk next to the edge. You'll fall over. You know, if you're saying it's okay, you're in a dangerous place. Stay back so that you're walking closer with God and not so close to the edge where you'll fall over the edge. Don't ask, is it okay? Ask, is it holy? 
Is it pleasing to God? And he used an example. He said he has this bracelet he wears. This says, is it holy? And he said, you know, a lot of times things he's getting ready to do, he, he'll, see, he'll see that bracelet. He'll say, is it holy? No. And like I remember one example he gave. Uh, he said he and his wife, man, he said sometimes they go at it. You know? He says, you know, after a while you learn what hurts. You learn the right words. He said, you know, sometimes, he said, you ever been in an argument and a person comes at you, and I mean, it's mean, and they come in, but they leave themselves wide open for the kill. And, and you're like, ah, I'm going to get her. And he, he said, you know, that's what happened. She came in with a statement, opened herself up for the kill. He started to say something, but there it was, is it holy? And he said, no. He said, but I did it anyway. He said, but then God got a hold of me. He said, now I'm about 70-30. About 70% of the time I keep my mouth shut, about 30% of the time. <laughs> he said, but God's working in my life. He's, he's, he's working to change me. And, and, and this, is, this is the point. God wants us to be in the type of relationship with Him where He's making us like Jesus. Where, where the questions we're asking is not, is it okay? But is it holy? That's so important. That is so critical. That is his call. Is it holy? So he's internally says free. One more. We are positionally righteous in Christ. Look with me at uh, verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful men in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. In other words, he says, guys, it's not about the works you have done. It's about the work he has done. That makes all the difference. We can't earn God's favor. The bar set too high. There's only one worthy. And he died for you. Makes all the difference. One of my favorite jokes. A little corny, but you know how jokes are. This guy goes up to heaven. Um, we'll say Peter. I don't know. Whoever's a keeper at the gate, the old jokes, they tend to say Peter. But the gatekeeper's up there. He says, well, it costs, it's 100 points to get in. 100 points? I goes, okay, let me think. He says, all right, I was married for uh, 65 years, the same woman, was faithful to her, didn't cheat on her, um, was romantic, uh, sensitive to her needs. He goes, okay, that's two points. I goes, oh, wow, okay, all right. He says, um, uh, tithing wasn't enough, so for my whole Christian life, I gave 25% of my income to God's work, to the church. He goes, okay, that's another point. He says, oh, man. He says, all right, I, I worked in a prison ministry for 25 years, and I was able to see God transform a lot of prisoners, do a lot of mighty work. He goes, that's great. He says, that's about two points. He goes, man. He says, look, I was a deacon in my church, and he said, I, I personally um, would, would help and, and, and visit widows every week and, and love them. He goes, okay, that's a, that's a point. He goes, God have mercy. He goes, now you're getting it. 100 points, come on in. You see, that's the deal. 
When we start looking at our works, they just are not enough. But God's mercy, His grace, Calvary, that's enough. That's what makes the difference. Um, Lewis Berry Chafer, founder of Dallas Theological Seminary, one day he was listening to Fanny Crosby's great song, I Am Thine, O Lord. Near the course where he says, draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, nearer, to thy precious bleeding side. And he began to think about how far he felt from God. And he began to think about how near could I really draw? And he said, not near enough. And as he began to pray, these words came to his mind. Chafer wrote, um, Nearer, still nearer, I cannot be. For in the person of his son, I am as righteous as he. See, that's what it is, guys. It's about God making me who I already am because of Jesus living within me. You see, we are positionally saved in Jesus. He covers us with His righteousness so that our sin is not what glares before a holy God. He sees you forgiven. He sees you in the perfect place of Jesus because He exchanged His life for yours. That's the amazing gospel. You know, it really touched my heart last night. The guy that closed was a, um, he's been in skateboarding for years. And he said 2005 he turned pro as a skateboarder. And that was also the year he gave his life to Jesus. And he was totally discouraged. He said he even started contemplating suicide. He said he went to church. And he said, to be honest with you, most of the time he'd gone to church, he, he didn't really listen. He didn't really care. And he just thought, eh, it's just a bunch of words, just religious words. Here we go. He said, but for whatever reason, it was different this time. His need was so great and his heart was so heavy that he listened. And the preacher shared. And he talked about Jesus exchanging his perfect life for our lives. He said it just hit him. Said, you know, it just made sense. It just really, he got it. And so he said he, he gave his heart to Christ there. He said, you know, I was one of the top five skateboarders in the world at that time. And I just didn't have a piece. So I started, I've been traveling around for seven years um, with uh, Christians because he said, that's, my, that's just my passion. And he closed, and it really touched me as he, as he closed. He said, guys, he said, um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this. But there's nobody but Jesus. You need Jesus. So, if you know, I want you to come down if you, you want to give your heart to Christ. And that was the invitation. And they came down. A bunch came down. But he closed, and I told Cindy, you know, it really touched my heart. <laughs> he said, guys, live for Jesus. There's nothing else. Let that sink in. <laughs> you know, Paul had come to that point as I close up. He said, wretched man I am, 
you know, in modern terms, the Todd paraphrase, screw up that I is. But then he turned and said, but therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What about you? Are you in him? I want to close with uh, these words about what humility really is. So often humility is misunderstood. John Riskin said, I I believe the first test of a truly great man is his humility. I do not mean by humility doubt of his own power or hesitation in speaking his opinion. But really great men have a feeling that the greatness is not in them, but through them. And that they could not do or be anything else than God made them. Andrew Murray said, The humble man feels no jealousy or envy. He can praise God when others are preferred and blessed before him. He can bear to hear others praised while he's forgotten because he's received the Spirit of Jesus who pleased not himself and who sought not his own honor. Therefore, in putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, he's put on the heart of compassion, kindness, meekness, long-suffering, humility. And Amar Dahan used to say, Humility is something we should constantly pray for, yet never thank God that we have. May God make us really humble. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you. There's only one way. It's called Calvary. Those of us who are part of your family, we we had to see how wretched we were, how messed up that we were sinners. Lord, that is hard. It's tough to take to really see yourself next to a holy God. But at that moment, we can receive your fullness, your forgiveness, your mercy and grace. And at that moment, we can understand that you forgive fully where there's no condemnation. Man, no one else loves us like you. And I pray this morning as we've come, Father, we just want to be honest before you. There there may be one here who uh, has a church background but doesn't have you. And I I just pray, uh, as this guy said last night, live for Jesus, there's nothing else. Ultimately, that's the way it goes, Lord. And I just pray, Father, if there's one here who hmm, has just never understood that, that now would be the time to come before you, to come to this altar to pray, come before the church body and say, I'm, I'm now one of the kids in the kingdom. Lord, do that. Do that kind of work, Lord. For those of us who are in the family that We've been asking the question, is it okay, instead of is it holy? Um, May that change, Lord. Get a hold of us, Lord. It's never good to go your way. The mind of sinful man is death. Um, There's no life in it. Hurts us, hurts others. We want to give life, Lord. And it's your words that give life. It's your life that provides life. And may we be sure that life is in us and that it flows through us. That's the call. And I I pray this morning, Father, that there would be a movement of you in each of us. What do you want? Do you want us to pray at the altar? Do you want us to come? Or maybe right where we stand, you know us. You know our needs. You know where we are. 
Master, may you be pleased when we leave here. May we have done whatever it is you asked us. In your name we pray. Amen.